Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developers podcast in fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. Today, my co-host, Dave Anderson, our producer, William Jeffries. And today we'll be talking about salaries. Ever wonder how much money you're making comparable to other developers? Today we'll be talking about that. Every day. Every day. Yeah, just wake up in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Mind I'm making my, enough money. Mind on my money and my money on my mind. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> Not really, but uh, all the time, all the time. Before we continue, we have a special guest here today, the talent acquisition partner at Stride, Haley Ricks. Hey, Hello. Haley, how's it going? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Awesome. We have a specialist here who can talk about salaries, but can't really talk about salaries. And we'll get to the nooks and crannies of all that in a second. So talk to us. How does the entire process go when it comes to a position at Stride or right. at anywhere, given someone just came out of college or someone came out of boot camp? Are those ranges differently? Like, what are some things that get put into account when you when you're doing your talent acquisition partner things? Yeah, a lot of different things. Stride differs to other companies when it comes to how we determine salary. Mm-hmm. That's something I like about Stride is that we have explicit ranges depending on what level you are and how much experience you have. And we're really transparent about that and super straightforward, which is good. When it comes to hiring someone straight out of boot camp or college. Yeah, are those the same? Are those equivalent if you're straight out of a boot camp or you're straight out of a college? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Okay. It depends on who's hiring those people and what kind of experience someone straight out of boot camp had before going through the boot mm. camp. Like, do they have five years of semi-relevant experience to the job? Yeah, those transferable skills. Right, exactly. So we look at those when we're hiring someone straight out of boot camp. Have they worked in the tech industry before, but in a different capacity? Have they done maybe a little bit of coding? Because some people have done some kind of technical work before. Right. Stride doesn't boot camp. really hire right out of a boot camp, right? We Maybe other companies. Don't. We, rare, we have a few times, but rarely. And all those people have had some kind of prior work experience for at least a year mm-hmm. before boot camp. So what does somebody make if they're coming fresh out of a boot camp and they have no work experience? In New York City. In New York in, City. In, in general. I can give you a range. Ballpark anywhere from 70 to honestly up to 100 depending on the kind of company because some product companies who maybe just got a lot of funding, you know, pay a lot more than other companies who aren't in that situation. So it really depends, but that's, and it is a wide range. I'd say anywhere from 70 to a hundred. Yeah. I know like finance will pay you the big bucks. Yeah, you're on page. Exactly. You're on page of duty right. all the time. Right, like that's like the the pros and cons of right. being a You have you've sold yourself. Yeah, and this right. yeah, this all assumes that you got a full time job out of a boot camp, which you know a lot of people don't. Right, right. Given statistics and claims and whatever, like can be a little bit dicey. There may be individuals who are listening who are interviewing in certain places. What are what are some things that like developers may not know that an interviewer may do that is not a nice thing to do. Well, as of very recently, as of October 31st, interviewers cannot ask a candidate about their salary history. So how much they've made 
in any of their previous jobs or how much they're currently making. That's really interesting. That's illegal in, in the state of New York as well as in California. Definitely, I would encourage people to look up that law and read the specifics of it. But Why is that on the books? In order to mitigate any kind of bias when you are presenting an offer to someone. So we still have a lot of issues in this country with a gender gap with pay. So females are often paid less than males. And also people can be biased by looking at your past salaries. Perhaps you were way underpaid in your last job. Right. You could be going from like one of those 70K jobs as a junior to one of the well-funded companies like in finance and be a little bit embarrassed about how much you're getting paid for maybe a job that has its own rewards in its its own way. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So you can underpay people easily and kind of take advantage. Yeah. If you're changing careers or if, if you take some time off, then that definitely puts a pretty big impact on the salary that you people maybe expect that you should get versus right. what you're actually getting. Absolutely. So I think I think it's a really good law. I'm glad that it's it's come into effect. So it's good to be careful and know that you have a right to not tell people and you should never feel like you need to disclose that information. But you can disclose that information and people can make decisions on your pay based on that information if you freely disclose it to an interviewer. There's no rule against that. And if you think, you know, perhaps you've been working for three years and slowly been making more money each year, maybe that's something you do want to talk about and say, hey, I'm currently making X amount of money and I want to make, you know, 10K more for that reason. That's perfectly fine if that's relevant to you, but it might not be. You but could. the interviewer can't ask is, no. the, is the law. Right. The interviewer cannot ask. What if they ask anyway? Like, and I personally don't know anything about that law. If they ask anyway, you, and you don't feel comfortable disclosing that information, you can say pursuant to this law, this new New York City salary law, I, I don't feel comfortable telling you that. Hmm. And it, it shouldn't bear any weight in this discussion. Yeah. So if you want to, if you want to play it that way, you, you have every right to do that. I see. But it sounds like I get the sense that the interviewer might not love that. Love that answer? Yeah. I mean, if they're not I, following the law, do you want to you want to be a part of that company? Is the question. Well, they might just not know. I mean, it is a brand new law. The it interviewer happened. should know. I think the interviewer should should know that kind of law. I think it's important. It's the same as you know, you can't ask where someone's from or how old they are if you don't know those really important legal question disclosure questions as as someone who's part of the hiring process and that's a problem in and of itself i also think that if an interviewer has issue with that answer then they're not totally respecting the candidate mm. and that's maybe a red flag mm. what are the consequences to the interviewer if they ask that question legally so this is interesting you can be fined from anywhere from i believe 125,000 to and I need to check on this, like $250,000 if that's reported. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, you can get in really hot water. So people should definitely, Burn. definitely oh. not ask. Yeah. That was my least favorite question to answer. It's like, or just cause it's like kind of awkward. It, you, you know that there's right. a game being played at that point, even though it is just, it's just money. But, it's uh, just money. Yeah. Everyone's got it. Everyone wants more. Yeah. I, no I one was, has enough. 
I was reading uh, Secrets of Consulting and like there was an interesting passage about like setting your worth and it's like, okay, it's just money, but then it's also not money because right. it's also like how much someone respects you and mm. how much you know you value yourself and so many other things. There's like layers of meaning on top of money. It's, right. it's like a relationship between you and someone else and it's it's interesting how complicated it is. It is. I will say that I think that it's I think people feel awkward disclosing disclosing how much money they want to be making, but that that is important and if an interviewer interviewer asks you that question like do you have a certain range in mind for for what you're targeting, I think it's a good idea to have an actual number or an actual range in mind. Mm. Because it it's a good data point for the interviewer to have. I know personally when I ask that question, it's so I can make note of it. And at some point, you need, you need that information if you're moving forward with an offer. So yeah. I think it's good to know the range that you want to be making. Mm. And I don't think that should affect the interviewer's view of you or whether or not you should move forward. Because negotiation is a totally fine fine and good thing to always do. What are some good resources for figuring out that kind of number for yourself? I would say, so there's a lot of different websites that you can go to that have that kind of salary information depending on where you live. So you can run reports on salary.com or Payscale or there are certain specific ones to developers. I don't know if you guys have heard of them. But just to... use Glassdoor, that's about it. Yeah, and Glassdoor is great. Glassdoor... Yeah, is good. It's not always super accurate because they do a lot of, they kind of change the numbers and kind of aggregate things in a way. So you're not seeing exact salaries a lot of times, which can be tricky. So that's something to to remember that they average things out. Yeah, it's confusing too when like you look at one of those sites and there are many, many, many titles that vary between companies. Like that how too. do you yeah. how do you compare what one company calls a mid level developer versus what another company does? Right. That is really hard. Like there are many companies that maybe have a lower bar for a senior developer than other companies and Yeah. And they have senior developer too. And it's like what You're is like, what is on. a senior developer <laughs> too? It's really interesting to see that. I find that very confusing too browsing through Websites like Glassdoor and then trying to make those comparisons. Like, wait, really? What does that even mean? A good idea is also to look at the company's job descriptions. So you can actually actually see like, okay, so a senior developer there is, you know, has this many years of experience and that can help inform. How much would you say that a developer would make, like a junior developer would make with like a year of experience in a, you know, relatively in-demand stack? I would say around 80 Maybe a little north. Mm. So that first 80. year of experience doesn't really bump you that much. Maybe a thousand. Maybe maybe again, ten thousand. Again, it so depends on what kind of company you're working for and in, in what industry. Because you could be wait, making maybe 20K more than that if you were, you know, out of Facebook or mm. a big product company versus a nonprofit. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, Joe Schmoles. Versus uh, a hedge fund. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I imagine that the range in the industry, especially in New York City, it's probably like all sorts of different products that you can work mm-hmm. for that have X amount of dollars versus big banker over there with Y amount of dollars. Right. So like, uh, <laughs> but they, what but are the different like, industries and how does that affect things? Where would you say the big lines are? 
like finances. Oh yeah. Fi- finance for sure. Finance would be the most highly paid for a software developer. I would think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would have to do more research, but I could pretty confidently say that's probably true. How much especially is it in New York? Like the size of the company, something like a Google or a Facebook versus something like a Comcast or a, yeah, Viacom versus, you know, something like a, you know, post series A startup versus something like a seed round. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm sure it matters, but also I've encountered people who've worked at pretty small startups who just got a ton of money really quickly, who then also got paid mm. like a lot more than you could even be making it like a Comcast or some kind of big company. Oh, because so, of the, because of the money that because, came in the yeah, startup. They're like overpaying people cause they can't, they just want to hire people quickly, hire good mm. people really quickly to start building things and they don't audit and make some kind of system for how much people are getting paid. So there aren't a lot of checks and balances. It's, like newer startup product companies. Right. So that so maybe they're they're being paid more than someone at like a larger established tech company that has more rigid kind of systems in place to measure that. Yeah. I think it's also it's kinda of hard because there you may be getting other things as well. Like right. there's there's intangible benefits like, you know, the healthcare, retirement, the volleyball team even, you know. Right, exactly. (laughs) The volleyball team. How could could you put a price on a volleyball team? (laughs) It's impossible. So what about like, uh, you know, a mid-level developer who's got several years of experience but isn't like a team lead? Define several years. Like five years? Maybe like two to five. Again, working with a wide range, I would say anywhere from... 90 at some places to five years at some companies you know, north of 120. Hmm. Yeah. Does that seem right? I, I yeah, that's, that's a, a, it's a wide range. Yeah. I guess the, a question that I have, I guess, suppose I'm at a place, how do I know if I'm being under or overpaid and how often does that happen? Both under and over. I think if you're being underpaid, you definitely know it because you probably don't have very high morale. It could affect, I think if you're being underpaid, you're working way harder and you've taken on a lot of responsibilities right? and you don't feel very motivated and you don't see any payoff to that, then that's, that's a red flag. Right. If you can't pay your bills and you're not irresponsible with money, then that's an issue. That's <laughs> you should get paid more. <laughs> if you're living paycheck to paycheck and you're not super financially irresponsible, mm. that's obviously a red flag. But I think that not making enough for what you're doing affects your job performance. It affects your attitude. So I think if that if that seems to be an issue and you feel demotivated because lack of any kind of reward. Mm-hmm. So yeah. let's say somebody comes to you and asks you your opinion about whether or not they're overpaid, whether or not they're underpaid, whether or not they're paid fairly. What questions would you ask to get at that? Whether or not they're underpaid? Yeah, like if they wanted to know whether or not they're being paid fairly and if they weren't being paid fairly, whether they were over or underpaid, what would Mm -hmm. be the questions you'd ask to get them to to give you the signals you needed to make an educated guess? I would want to know about 
their responsibilities. So how much are they actually doing? Are they someone who's kind of sitting down and doing the bare minimum of, of their job and kind of floating under the radar and not putting in a lot of effort and feeling like they're underpaid? Then maybe you're not underpaid. You're actually not doing that much significant work. Mm. So I'd want to hear what their responsibilities are, what their day looks like, how many hours they're working. I think if someone's working 60 hours a week and being paid $40,000 a year and, and working really hard, that's a problem. Right. Yeah. Well, let's hear your point like about like motivation and pay. Like if you are getting paid less then maybe like, why bother? What's going right. on? Exactly. Yeah. And same with being overpaid too. If you're getting paid way more than you need to be it could also give you a why bother mentality you're kind of just sitting there like raking in money and not being motivated to try harder and to move up so that Mm, could also maybe be demotivating i think yeah i've definitely heard stories about people who are working for really well-to-do companies like finance companies and they just need someone who does like php or like (laughs) db2 and they're like you're the db2 guy and that's it like that's your life now, but we're going to pay you so much money that you never want to do anything else. Right. So let's say we've got Susie Q here and she's got three years of experience. She's working at a you know post-series A startup. They don't have a large tech team, but it's been growing rapidly. And so she's been given a lot of responsibility. She's a team lead and she's still making 100, 100K. Would you say, you know, working 50, 55 hours a week, would you tell her... You're probably on target, maybe a little underpaid, overpaid. What would you say? I would ask how she... Does she feel motivated? Is she happy with how much she's getting paid? Like, does that pay the bills for her? Does she enjoy those responsibilities? Is she motivated right now? Because if that's not a problem, then that's fine. (laughs) Let's say she's thinking about jumping ship. Okay. But she's not sure if, you know, asking for more money in order to stay is is really fair because it might be she doesn't know she's not a recruiter she it right. might be that they could find a replacement for her at the same rate or less mm. right i would definitely say talk to your manager if she feels unsure and she's taken on new responsibilities and as a team lead mm. and has been there a while i think absolutely do that and an, a good manager would want to have that discussion with susie and should be open to that kind of discussion and i think she should communicate really clearly her new responsibilities. And so you don't think you could make a blanket statement, like given that set of facts, that's not enough information to say yes or no, you're underpaid. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Then it depends on other benefits and Mm. is she, yeah, able to pay the bills and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I guess it's also, it's tough because like, like there's a certain salary progression when you're at a job, right? Like, okay, you, get a nominal raise or like you push for more and that's whatever. But it seems like there's a perception that in order to get like the really larger gains, like you need to be changing jobs frequently and kind of like in order to have more stakes at the table, because like, you know, there's, there's once they already have you, you know, they know that there's like kind of less bargaining on the the table than Mm. if they really want you. Right. And it seems like the objective measure for, for you would be, how much the company could pay on the market to get someone with an equivalent who could deliver an equivalent amount of value, right? Right. Which is like what Haley was saying before about like, you know, doing your research and knowing ahead of time yeah. what you're worth. Like, I guess even if you are at the job, 
Yeah, but I would say a company would, I think, would want to keep a good person rather than, you know, it's expensive to hire someone new. So if it's a matter of hiring someone new versus giving someone a little more money, I Mm. think that that makes more business sense. But I would encourage Susie to have a number in mind, like to do research and figure out how much more she wants to be making. Because if you're going into that kind of conversation, you should have a certain number in mind to, to start that conversation with. Yeah. So like when someone like Susie who's been in a company for a while is, is starting that discussion and doing research, like like sites that we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. like Glassdoor and seller.com where you can get these kind of like arrogant numbers from the industry. But like I could see an argument against that for the boss be like, well, you know, we're, we're no Google. We're no whatever. Right. Like, but like, there may be like discrepancies within the office and I'm curious like what your thoughts are on like transparency of salaries and asking colleagues what their salaries are because it can be kind of an awkward question to ask. Right. But like it is the most relevant information to that kind of discussion. Absolutely. I think so. That's so tricky because I think it can cause tension, but if you were to create like the perfect utopian company where everything is fair based on experience based on what you do like it'd be great for people to share that kind of information if a company was administering salaries fairly and how they should be mm-hmm. like in a perfect world people could disclose that to each other and no one would feel any kind of animosity so i've asked my coworkers that before and gotten answers and it's fine i think it's tricky at certain companies that would not go over well because there are so many issues with yeah. people being pay- paid so differently. I guess there there is like kind of the real world issues with that. Yeah. 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 But, you know, earlier we were talking about salary bans and like companies that have like a mature process and are adhering to that. That I guess that kind of provides its own transparency. Yeah, I so think so. Yeah, I think Stride's pretty good about having pretty clear kind of XYZ like falling within these bands. You can also end up trapped in sort of a bubble though. If you're only looking within at the one, at the one company you already work at is, you know, when a developer is comparing their options, the market for them, they are the product and the market for them are all, are all of the jobs. Right. And so you're, as I, I see this, you know, companies will say, well, you know, we are in the fashion industry and so we're going to pay developers what, developers make it other fashion companies and to me that seems probably not a lot yeah probably not (laughs) a lot and those developers aren't making money because of their domain expertise within the fashion space they're looking they're comparing their salary to the salaries that are being offered for the same technical skill set across all industries right Right. Mm -hmm. there's a there's a real trap there of looking at false comparisons i agree with you yeah but and, and that's the thing. I think you have to be cognizant of what industry you're going in and know that if I'm working in fashion, I'm not going to be paid for doing the same job as if I was working in finance. Right. And that's just always going to be true. Right. I mean, I guess it's kind of like, you know, there's this book that I really enjoyed when I was younger called like, What Color Is Your Parachute? They talk about like what what domain and like language you want to speak, and mm-hmm. like there's that's kind of a trade off, I guess. If you have a real yeah. passion about finance or about like fashion and technology, then that's that's a niche that you can find other enjoyment in, even though you maybe you're not getting paid right. the big money that right. you're getting in finance or ad tech or mm. what have you. 
Right. Exactly. Like you don't go into the nonprofit world or certain industries to make money. It's if you care about it that much, then you're willing to to sacrifice that a little bit. Well, I think that answers the question that I was about to ask, which is like, suppose we have Susie Q, who, again, the example was brought up that she's making X amount of dollars. I think it was 100000 And then she gets an offer elsewhere. Like, what would that offer have to look like for Susie Q to jump ship from what she's currently doing to the new offer? And I think it it boils down to like what money means to Susie Q, but as well as what she's currently doing at that particular workplace. Right. So it sounds like Susie Q has been interviewing without talking to her manager first, or I don't know. I I would encourage her to have a conversation. Well, it it also depends how much does Susie Q like the company and the mission and the people she's working with. And and how much she trusts her manager. And how much she trusts her manager, yeah. Your manager could just just turn around and not put you on any of the good projects because they think you're a flight risk now. Which she needs to leave. (laughs) That's a bad sign. So, yeah, that's a tough question. I would say... Yeah, how 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 safe does she feel having that kind of conversation with her current manager? If right. she doesn't, then she if that offer is, you know, comparable money-wise or more and the benefits are good and she thinks her manager's better, then yeah, mm. I would leave. I think it is really telling when you have that kind of conversation with your manager about wanting to be compensated more and they have their backup or don't want to find any kind of solution and just say a hard no, Right, that's always a red flag. I think a good manager should want to find some kind of solution to the problems that you're facing with being yeah. motivated or getting money. Right. I, I guess there there are realities that, that make it challenging, like what William was saying, to bring that up or have that conversation with your manager. But mm-hmm. I do like the idea of living in a world where that's, that's possible. I, I think we should yeah. all push for that. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Absolutely. More transparency. What would you say is the range for, like, the upper range for software developers? Like, if we're talking about somebody who's really quite senior, you know, they're they're expert in a particular area in software development, and they're quite talented generally, what would you say is the range for the upper end of the skill level? Of, of okay, of developers in general. Again, wide range depending on a lot of things, but I'd say anywhere from 140 to, if we're talking about a big tech company like a Google or something, 250 plus. Yeah. And yeah. well, and also like once you get to a certain tier of salary, it's not really like the title. It's like they want you. Right. Right. This particular human. And if you can differentiate yourself in that kind of like a rock star status, then, I mean, I was reading something about like data scientists in particular, like these are like highly qualified people who also have technical skills and allegedly like getting paid more than six digits, like million million dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you could go, go way up. Yeah, I think I read a similar article where they mentioned that the data scientist instructors at like famous colleges or like Ivy League colleges were hired by big companies and there's not enough teachers to teach people about data science. <laughs> so then it's like oh, really yeah. it's like a huge like surge of data scientists and AI related development and stuff like that because all the Ivy League related professors have been hired to 
and they're getting paid seven digit like ridiculous yeah. amounts of money for that kind of work which wow. is insane yeah, yeah the outliers get really crazy you hear about you know some developer who was the founding technical person for a finance startup that hit it big and now he's the indispensable one and without him the whole company would collapse and so he's <laughs> right. just like give me 10 million dollars yeah. and they have to do it yep or like you have this, you know, C plus plus core to your web application, and like there's you are the one who built it, and you've engineered job security yeah. into it, whether you've intentionally done it or not, because you know there's that's a very specific skill set to make a web server in C plus plus. Yeah, that's I mean there, there's still COBOL developers out there who's making who's raking in the dough in finance because it is finance, so they pay a lot of money there, but they still have COBOL mainframes that keep you know data about all the transactions that has happened throughout the day and cold if you know cobalt you can make you can make a pretty penny not that i'm <laughs> suggesting you should go out there and learn cobalt because that language is from the 70s i wouldn't yeah. recommend it uh, but you know, it's, the done, outliers are insane. i'm done with react <laughs> go with COBOL. i will say i do think it's good to to do your research and know what market is because if you're you do have a skill set that is like very sought after right now, you want to make sure that you're not being taken advantage of because of where you've come from or anything that, yeah, you should know that like you should get paid how much other people are being paid ballpark for that same skill set. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like cobalt or something specific. Right. That's super specific. Yeah. Like you, if you learn cobalt in college, you're probably like 70 right now. It was made, I can't math like off the plot, but like that was a big programming language in the 1970s, if I recall correctly. Fun fact, they taught that at my college when I went. So yeah, I don't know why, but they, I definitely can do some COBOL <laughs> if necessary. If Stride needs a COBOL developer, I'm your guy, maybe. I don't know. You're braver man than me. It took Fortran for a minute. And I was like, <laughs> no, I'm out. Oh man. Yeah. If the discussion we had talking about Suzy Q sounds like you, I think as Haley mentioned, you might want to talk to your manager and, and yeah. do some self-reflection to determine whether the company you're currently working for is the mission statement you want to follow and, and you enjoy your coworkers and the product that you're building or the work that you're doing. And if you, if there are any red flags in any of those departments, then the offer that gets given to you is probably a better one than where you currently are. Depending on a lot of things. Yeah. I will also say that I love hopping on calls and talking people through like their own salary negotiations. And I would love to be a resource to anyone who wants a second opinion or doesn't really know, you know, what they're dealing with. I help my friends with that sort of thing a lot. So awesome. Reach out if you, if you want to talk through that. Where can people reach you? Do you have a Twitter account you follow? I, ooh, I, I don't I know. Do, this is like, do you drop the news on that Twitter I account? I do have a Twitter. It's new. And I have two tweets. Nice. I retweet a lot of Chance the Rapper. Okay. And <laughs> the last blockbuster is also hilarious. Someone okay. at Stride told me about that and I thought it was funny. So you can find me on Twitter, Haley, H-A-Y-L-E-Y, Ricks, R-I-C-K-S, or email me, okay. Haley at strideNYC.com. Awesome. Well, thank thank you so much, Haley, for coming down. Thank this you for really, having me. This is really really it's dope. fun to see what this is like. Yeah, podcasting is fun. Don't yeah. don't, don't be scared. It's glamorous life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. To talk about salaries and what's comparable, what's not. It's a really interesting topic that I imagine a lot of developers feel every day with their mind on their money and the money on their mind. 
Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Cha-ching. <laughs> Cha-ching. Again, Haley, thank you so much thank for you. coming on down. I'd like to thank my co-host, Dave. Yeah, thanks, man. Always a pleasure. Our producer, William. It was great to be here. Awesome. You can reach us at twitter.com slash radiofreerabbit. I'm Michael Nunez. This is The Rabbit Hole. We'll see you next time.